This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I am bringing to you today General Mike Linnington, the CEO of Wounded Warrior Project. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on the show here today, General Linnington. And I know, um, like I was sharing with you previously, you know, we've got a big listenership of military connected individuals. And um, what an honor to be speaking with you and to learn more about everything going on um, with WWP, as uh, it is affectionately known in the VSO space. Ryan, I can't tell you how excited I am to be on your podcast. I listen to most of them. I'm going to listen to the rest of them, and I'm honored to be selected to be uh, on the call with you today. And thank you for what you do in leading an enormously impactful uh, organization that helps veterans and their families and um, Gold Star families and so many others in so many ways. Thank you. Well, let's let's dive in. I think important to know, um, how, how long have you been, I'm trying to think, you became the CEO of Wounded Warrior Project in what year? Uh, believe it or not, it's coming up on six years. 2016, in July, um, I started at Wounded Warrior Project. I retired uh, from the military in 2015, worked for a year for the Department of Defense. I uh, got the call to compete for the CEO position at Wounded Warrior Project. And of course, I jumped at that opportunity. And here I am in six years, as you know, it's just gone so quickly, Ryan. It's just, it's really pretty incredible. Well, you know, one of the things I always think about, you know, coming and, and I remember when they made the announcement that you had joined as as the CEO and I didn't know you, um, but I was impressed that they had brought someone with your caliber of experience within the military to lead, uh, you know, the nation's leading veteran service organization. And one of the things I wondered was, did you realize leaving in 2015, you know, stepping out of active duty, the need for veteran service organizations? And, you know, because I always wonder, do, do active duty service members understand, number one, the support that exists when they leave active duty, and number two, the need for it? Because I think a lot of times you talk, you know, you'll hear veterans talk about like, I, I thought transition was going to be easy, right? I thought transitioning right. out of the military wasn't going to be a challenge. And then they find, oh, wow, there are some challenges that exist. Yeah. What were your thoughts as you left? And, you know, you only had a year before you took this role on, but leaving active duty, what did that look like for you? For me, Ryan, I, I, I never really understood the importance of the veteran service organization and military service organization and nonprofit world space in general. Yeah when I was in the, the army, let's say. But when I, when I finished my career in the Pentagon as the military deputy for the Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness, one of my responsibilities was hosting for the Secretary of Defense and DOD, all the VSO, Veteran Service Organization, and MSO, Military Service Organizations, quarterly convenings 
at the Pentagon. And when you listen to the depth and breadth of the programs, services, um, opportunities provided by the community of nonprofits oriented on veterans, it's staggering to see the impact they're making in the lives of those still in uniform and those that have taken off the uniform. And I will tell you, just without question, um, our military and veterans communities would not be served in the manner they are today if left only to the, um, the government provided support. I mean, what you do at TMF, what we do at Wounded Warrior Project, you know, thousands of other veteran service organizations really do fill in the gap for what the government takes primary responsible, primary, primary responsible for with, you know, community programs, mostly through MWR and others on the active and guard side, active guard and reserve side, and through veteran organizations like ours on the veteran side. So I think, you know, again, I think most of our listenership is, is pretty familiar with Wounded Warrior Project. I mean, at this point, it has become a household name. Um, but I think it's important to kind of take a look under the, the hood and, and actually hear from you what Wounded Warrior Project does. And, you know, a lot of times, and I'll say, and we can dive into this a little bit more, but, you know, I'd love to talk about our partnership with the Travis Manning Foundation. But I think, you know, just from a general sense, like, given understanding of those gaps that Wounded Warrior Project is filling, um, that the government does not uh, provide. Yeah, thank you, Ryan, for that opportunity to talk about what we do. I mean, at the end of the day, we connect, we connect, serve, and empower. We connect warriors uh, with each other, warriors being wounded warriors, family members, and caregivers. You know, when you're serving the military, you have that that sense of brotherhood and sisterhood and part of a community. When you take off the uniform, many of our veterans miss that sense of purpose and community that they gained when they were in military service, right? Sebastian Younger wrote a book about it called Tribe. We see it every day with what you do at TMF and what we do at Wounded Warrior Project. So we start with connecting um, wounded, ill and injured service members and their families and caregivers uh, together with each other in their communities and with, with organizations that can make a difference. And then we help them heal mind, body, and spirit. And when I say heal, we provide a variety of programs in the areas of mental health, physical health and wellness. We do benefits counseling. We have a really robust financial uh, assistance program and financial education program, and we find jobs for veterans. So we, we do the full gambit. We're one of the few organizations that really does do, you know, immediately after they take off the uniform all the way through till they're employed, programs and services that help the veteran, uh, the wounded veteran transition more easily. We also have a really uh, important program called our independence program, which provides in-home care for those wounded ill and injured service members more severely injured or wounded think moderate to severe traumatic brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, other debilitating injuries, where we can help the families of those loved ones maintain their loved one in their home and not have to be institutionalized. The VA has a much larger program that does that. But at a certain point, the VA, if you plateau in the VA programs, um, there's a chance for you to be institutionalized. We provide in-home care and respite for the caregiver and the warrior to help keep them in their home. And that's a big program that we um, 
we, we provide as well. In terms of partnership, we know no single organization can meet the needs of wounded or injured service members. And our partnerships with veterans service organizations across the board help us uh, expand the resources available to America's service members, veterans, caregivers, and families. And through our partnership, like our partnership with Travis Mannion Foundation, that's an excellent, excellent example of where we can do things in the community um, through you that you do much better than us. Certainly your work with the Character uh, Matters program, with volunteerism, mentor, mentorships for the next generation, opportunities for Gold Star family members to get involved and give back in their communities. You do that better than anybody. So when we have requests for those types of programs, um, we send both our warriors and those that support us to you because you do those programs just, I mean, in, in an amazing manner. And I think, thank you. And I think that, you know, it's important to understand that collectively, we all have to be working together to, to serve our military community, to serve our, our, our veteran population. And, you know, that's what I love. And I always say I love about our, our partnership with Wounded Warrior Project, that we are able to be that continuum of care for people that are, are getting out there. Um, but like you said, not everyone can be, we can't be everything to everyone, right? And we have to work together to make that happen. I wondered, as you entered in to taking over this leadership role, did you approach it with any sort of leadership philosophy? I mean, you know, I'm running an organization that that seems behemoth, but it's pales in comparison to what you're doing. And so, you know, that's a big challenge and um, you're in charge of it all. Like, how did you approach that? And what was the idea that you wanted to, because, you know, I, I've, I've told you um, personally, and I say it uh, when you're not listening, that I think you are such a tremendous leader. Everyone that I've come into contact with at Wounded Warrior Project just speaks accolades about your leadership and your approach to how you run the organization. And that doesn't come without having some sort of philosophy on how you're going to do it. So what did that look like for you? Um, Ryan, for me, I took what I learned in 35 years from some incredibly talented and caring leaders, uh, tried to, you know, take the best lessons I had learned from them and bring that to Wounded Warrior Project. And the good thing is Wounded Warrior Project was already there. I mean, I tell the story, people say, you know, you know, why, why is Wounded Warrior Project so well known in the community? Well, it's because we have great programs and services with great impact, right? We have great people, right? It all comes down to people, right? You and I both lead organizations that have incredible people. And, and third, there's great need. And if you're in a business selling widgets on the street or you're a corporate leader or you're a nonprofit leader, if you have great need, um, great people, and great impact, uh, great programs and services, you can only be successful. And that's why I joined Wounded Warrior Project. I mean, I joined Wounded Warrior Project because I saw firsthand when I was in uniform, the impact Wounded Warrior Project was having at the military hospitals at Walter Reed, Brook Army Medical Center, Balboa. I got to see those hospitals when I was in uniform. And there were a lot of Wounded Warrior Project employees in those hospitals helping wounded veterans transit uh, with 
first of all, with recovery from their injuries. Secondly, in their transition, and they were there for their families. Yeah. So when the opportunity came up for me to join an organization that continued to serve, I mean, it was almost, it was almost I mean, I call it divine intervention. I jumped at the opportunity. Now, truth in lending, I had joined a defense agency for, a, for the first year after I took off the uniform. And, you know, I didn't think anything would take me back out of government service. But when Wounded Warrior came and called and said, are you interested? Of course, I threw my name in the hat and the rest is history. And um, I tell Brenda, my wife, short of, um, short of marrying her and commanding troops in combat, this is the greatest honor and privilege I've ever had is being part of an organization that does so much uh, for those that have borne the, uh, borne the greatest, um, our nation, uh, protected our freedoms and way of life and served and sacrificed so much on our behalf. So with and, your, and your family, by the way, and your family is the epitome of that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, was there something, you know, you, you've spent your entire, well, you know, at, at that point, up until 2015, your entire career had been in the military, um, in a, you know, the military's bureaucratic to some degree. There's a lot of, you know, set processes and, and you're entering into a civilian world running a nonprofit. I don't know if there's, you know, take out veteran service organization. There's probably couldn't be two different industries than nonprofit and military. Right. right exactly. And so was there anything that surprised you? And, you know, I talk a lot about when we started the Travis Manning Foundation, it was a, we were a small little memorial fund in outside of Philadelphia, right? We knew nothing about nonprofit. And we, I remember my mom actually bought from the local bookstore, like nonprofit for dummies. Like it was, we were literally learning on the go and trying to digest everything but we were also kind of, it was, it was growing pains together, right? Like we were growing up with the organization. When you came in, was there anything that surprised you? Not, not just about nonprofit, but just about like the civilian work experience. Yeah, um, first of all, um, I think I read the same book you did with the yellow, the yellow cover with the black stripes, yeah. you know, nonprofit for dummies. and. A friend had given me a bunch of other uh, nonprofit books to read. Um, but I, to be honest with you, I have, like you, I have really good people that are um, part of the leadership team that take responsibility for what they're doing and don't, don't expect me to be the expert. And, and in my military career, like most people in the military career, the essence of mission, mission orders, mission command is you, you, you let people know what your thoughts are and where you want to go. And then you give, them, you give them the responsibility and the authority to act on it. And then you kind of unleash them to go you know, bring, bring their innovative ideas to front and, and make things happen. So you know, I, you know, you know all of our leadership team, you know, I got a great um, chief programs officer. I got, I got great um, fundraising experts. I've got um, great uh, marketing and communications leadership. Um, I got great shared services, HRIT. We're an organization of almost 850 full-time uh, teammates. We call them teammates. And, you know, hundreds, thousands of volunteers. 
peer support group leaders. Um, we always are looking for ideas on how to do how to do things better. But when I came on board, it was a real learning experience, especially with regard to the governance uh, requirements of a nonprofit. I had no experience in governance. I had no no experience at all in um, nonprofit um, impact measurements or accounting or or tax law or any of that. But luckily, we had some really amazing folks here at the Warrior Project that helped me get my feet underneath me. And I'm, I'm, I'm still learning, to be honest with you. Um, I can't keep up on all of it, but I do, have, I do have leaders across the board that just make a huge difference in um, correcting what I say. Sometimes I'll say things <laughs> and they'll say, well, what Mike meant to say was, you yeah. know, this, this, and this, because we can't do that and we're doing that. And, and uh, you know, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm humble enough to know that when the, when the sergeant tells you it's time to do this um, and you have a vision for doing something different, you better listen to the sergeant because the sergeant and the corporal is closest to the problem. And the sergeant and the corporal solution are often much better than the solution you know, suggested by the person that's so far up the chain, they don't really know the reality of what's happening on the ground. I, I think that's such, great advice and, and insight. And, you know, you, you think about it, I, I, I think in the military, they call it commander's intent, right? Like That's right. you, you set your, your guidelines, your vision of what you want to see. And then, you know, you let the, the troops go out and accomplish that mission. And I think that is so applicable, you know, obviously it makes sense within the military, but you can bring that, um, practice to a civilian career. And, and frankly, you don't have to have served in the military to understand that concept. And I think, I think a lot of times that's why there's those principles. When you talk about your leadership philosophy, um, when you talk about how you entered in and, and, and what you were trying to accomplish and, and learning the nonprofit world, you, you lean back into all these things you learned into the military, in the military. And I think a lot of times that's why our, uh, civilian counterparts recognize very quickly, like, oh, I, I want to hire the veteran because the veteran brings this vast leadership knowledge that isn't, frankly, taught anywhere else. And so I'm getting an added bonus with bringing someone like that in. And I and so I think a lot of times, you know, one of the things that I think about is um, for those that are not super connected with this space, right? And with understanding what the veteran service organizations are all about, you know, certainly, like I said, people understand Wounded Warrior Project, right? Like they see the bumper stickers, they, they see the commercials, they know they're helping our veterans, but do they understand the different caveats of the need? And, you know, how can we shift the narrative? And, and I think I've talked about this with you just offline of, you know, this idea of veterans being charity cases, right? To right. veterans being civic assets, uh, while also right. making sure that we're taking care, like you said, with your independence program, we're taking, sure, taking care of our catastrophically wounded veterans, but also recognizing that the vast majority of veterans are, are you know, probably 99% of them are civic assets that we need to invest in in order for them to help our greater society, right? Yeah, I think you hit two really good points there, um, Ryan. First of all, 
um, the, the, the training and the, and the leader development and leader experiential um, exper experiences of veterans can only benefit uh, organizations that, that hire a veteran or get veterans involved, right? You talked about uh, commander's intent, absolutely. Um, as commanders in the military, you give a few key tasks you want accomplished and you give the end state of where you want to be at the end of the operation. And, and that's all you give your, that's all you really need to give your subordinate leaders. And then they do the same thing with their subordinate leaders and they give a little, you know, a little bit less to their subordinate leaders, but more focus. And then you leave it up to the initiative and the training of the lowest level, especially in combat where the situations are so fluid so dynamic that they really require split second decisions that you'll never train for, or maybe you haven't trained to the level of detail that, that, that perhaps that experience gives to you. So that, that level of um, competence, discipline, um, um, uh, decisiveness, uh, thinking on your feet, agility, innovation, that all comes from folks that have served in the military and why organizations like ours and corporations that hire veterans, they have, they, they have a huge upside. They're not hiring the veteran because they, they want to, you know, fill a philanthropic need. They're hire, hiring the veteran, as many have written books on, because it makes business sense to hire the veteran, because the veteran is good for the bottom line. And I think you're right. If there's two things I would change in the nonprofit world, the veteran-oriented nonprofit world, the first would be, as you mentioned earlier, we should we should work more closely together as we're doing with Travis Manion Foundation and Wounded Warrior Project in coordinating our efforts in certain areas. In your case, it's the, it's the community efforts you're doing um, in building character among young, young people. And second is changing the narrative, right? Are there veterans that are catastrophically wounded in combat uh, or killed in action and, and uh, their families need our help and they need our support? Absolutely. But the overwhelming number of young people um, that join the, join the military, come back with really positive experiences that can help them later in life. So um, I'm, I'm, we're doing our best at Wounded Warrior Project with you and others um, to work on that narrative and really inspire continued service among the young people and the influencers that are considering the military. Uh, nowhere else in our history have we had so few serving at a time um, of great need. Today, we have a population of 330 plus million citizens, and we have 1.2 million in uniform active duty. If you count the entire active guard and reserve, that's a little over 2 million. So it is less than 1% of the 330 million that were asked to do a lot for us. And I think when, when young people serve in combat, raise their hands, say, take me, let me serve, you know, they're guaranteed nothing. They're not guaranteed an assignment. They're not guaranteed that they'll deploy. They're not guaranteed if they deploy that they'll even come home. Your brother, right, who sacrificed for us. But if they don't come home, or if they come home wounded, they have an expectation that their family will be cared for. And if they are, and if they do come home wounded or injured, that our country, our government, and our people will be there to support them. And that's why I'm so proud of the partnership we have together, because we both committed ourselves to those. To that, to those, to that value, to that, to that, um, that commitment to uh, those that have served. Yeah, and I think you know, I think about that a lot, and and you know, thought about you know this idea. It, it's become this 
this catchphrase, right? The civilian military divide, less than 1%, but, but it's very real. And I think when you break it down to those numbers and you really think about the gravity of so few doing so much for the larger population, it was something I thought about a lot during um, last August when we were leaving Afghanistan. And regardless of like the circumstances around that and, you know, all that went on, um, I remember looking at that last picture and, you know, they had they had put that last picture everywhere with um, the, the service member that was the last one on the plane. And it was like last service member leaves Afghanistan. And both of our organizations were born post 9-11. And, you know, for the entire existence of both of our organizations, and I would say most of the, the largest veteran serving organizations that exist to help our veteran community were born post 9-11. Um, when you look at that, and then you look at this, this drawdown that we are now a nation that is no longer at war, um, when we have for the last 20 years, and, and thank God, we don't want to be a nation at war forever, but what does that look like for people um, understanding the need for our military and understanding the importance, and I would say even more of the importance of organizations like ours and, and why they are there and exist, you know, like that's a real thing that we have to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And I will just say um, your organization's efforts post the Afghan withdrawal, where you've provided opportunities for um, veterans and Gold Star families to get involved in the communities um, with youth as mentors in community events has helped them realize that their service mattered. And we saw a significant increase in um, military, former military veterans that reached out to us for help after the drawdown in Afghanistan because they questioned, they questioned their duty. They questioned whether or not it really mattered. You know, did their, did their sacrifice uh, mean anything? And of course, we all know the answer to those questions are yes. Not only did they keep their battle buddies safe and did what their nation asked them to do, but they also provided opportunities for um, uh, Afga Afghan uh, citizens, especially women and girls, Iraqi um, citizens to, to experience things that they would never have experienced. And although we're reading some really horrible stories about what's going on in Afghanistan today, once those seeds of freedom and education and opportunity are planted. I don't think the book is really closed yet, or at least, you know, maybe maybe a chapter is closed, but we never, we'll never really understand the impact for many, many years of the service and sacrifice in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And that's why today to get, we have to continue to serve those that committed themselves to service to our country over the last, you know, 20 plus years because um, their needs are changing and their needs are growing. Um, we've had we've had more um, veterans sign up for the programs and services we provide at Wounded Warrior Project um, this last year than ever before, despite not having large scale numbers of troops deployed in combat. By the way, we do have 200,000 service members deployed in 170 countries around the world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But but but, you know, sometimes, as you know, firsthand, 
um, the experiences you've you've um, gone through in combat or in life or in your upbringing don't really present themselves until many years later. Yeah. That was certainly the case with Vietnam veterans. Um, and that's why Wounded Warrior Project, despite you know operations in Iraq and Afghanistan being ended, we know that this journey for those we serve, especially in the areas of physical health, mental health, toxic exposures, cancer, those kind of things are things that we have to stay invested in. Yeah, and I love, you know, I love the the work that you guys are doing to bring light to to some of those um, things that aren't really forefront of the public's mind. Like they don't realize that there are burn pit exposures and, you know, that there is a massive, um, uh, increase in female veterans with breast cancer that were deployed in combat zones and, and you guys, and, you know, making sure that you are, you know, working with policy and legislation to, again, it's just another avenue and another thing that Wounded Warrior Project does that is so incredibly important. Um, so, okay, a couple quick fire things. Um, what is, uh, what is a book that you would recommend uh, for everybody to read? Uh, a book that has had a tremendous impact on you, maybe a book you've read recently, um, anything that you would recommend to our listeners? Uh, I'm reading a book on uh, leadership in uh, tumultuous times right now um, about Lincoln, Roosevelt, um, for, uh, Roosevelt, Roosevelt, Lincoln, and uh, Johnson. And uh, if you think of the challenges these four leaders had during periods of um, great adversity, uh, you know, uh, depression, period of the depression, uh, civil rights um, um, challenges, uh, the Civil War, the uniting of the country after the Civil War. I mean, it's just a fabulous book. And I read it once many years ago, Doris Kearns Goodwin's book. I'm reading it again. Uh, it reminds me of some of the challenges we're going through as a nation right now and why leadership is so important. So that uh, that's one. And of course, I read all the other um, military books that, that you can imagine uh, that mostly required reading. I'm not a big reader. I'm from Philly, so I'm a sports fan. But I do I do take occasion to read an occasional book. And uh, I, I it usually takes me quite a while to get through them. But um being a Philly guy, I'm focused on Philly sports and keeping my mind active as I'm on the road. I do a lot of traveling, um, as you do. Well, you'll you'll be happy to know that right behind me, so you can't see it, is the the uh, framed copy of the Philadelphia Inquirer um, with Nick Foles, uh, you know, uh, uh, holding up the the trophy after we won the Super Bowl. So, and this little memento right here, I'll show you. Um, from the Travis Mannion Foundation is one of our most prized possessions, Ryan. This was a community leadership award. You presented it to us. Um, you were very gracious and kind in doing it. I mean, what the Travis Mannion Foundation does in terms of community involvement, community integration, community leadership is the best, absolutely the best. And there's a lot of organizations that focus on it, but I will tell you, you give you, your organization in particular, gives purpose back to veterans that maybe have gotten out of the military and needed a sense of purpose. Yeah. And I hear that all the time from folks that have um, been involved in your organizations. I mean, 
I just got a story from my team the other day about two registered Wounded Warrior Project alumni, James, I'll leave out his last name, but James and Lupita, L-U-P-I-T, I think it's Lupita, um, they were experiencing a lot of uh, significant lows in their life. Um, not that they were, um, you know, financially sound, but they, they were missing the sense of purpose they had when they were in the military. Um, and what they both said was getting involved with the Travis Mannion Foundation through our coordinated efforts in the classroom with young people um, sharing their own life experiences, their time in combat together, gave them back their sense of purpose and just raised their spirits exponentially. And you never know when those volunteer opportunities like James and Lupita took, took advantage of, um, if they hadn't taken advantage of those opportunities, what might happen down the road with them or others like them. So the opportunities you and your entire team are providing in building character in the community and getting involved with youth, absolutely incredible. We, we don't have an active program that does that. And that's why I'm so proud of this partnership because what, we, what you help us with in getting our warriors engaged and involved, we can help you know, those that, that, that you have connections with help get the physical and mental health and healing programs that we provide. And that to me, is the symbiotic um, success of two organizations that aren't competing with right. each other are actually working together. And I wish more organizations would have that type of relationship. I think it's so important too. And, you know, again, a lot of times we compete for the same funding and, and it's, you know, we're all running these, these businesses because a nonprofit is a business, but at the end of the day, like we're all serving the same community and we have to, we have to find a way to, to ultimately come together and not feel that sense of competition. I know we certainly do not feel that way with you guys. We are tremendously grateful and thankful of our partnership. And, and we are just glad that, you know, we talked for many years, you know, we're coming up on 15 years of, of being a 501c3. And we used to talk about this holistic approach that we took as an organization, you know, that there had to be a, a model that existed before you needed that, that care um, at, at a, a medical level, I will say, you know, where you have yeah. to enter into the VA for, and, and, you know, in the beginning, we weren't really taken seriously, like, oh, great. So you have veterans talking to kids and, and veterans volunteering, like, what's that going to do, you know, and, and, Luckily, we were able to um, actually get some real research and data behind that. And, and now we have the proof to show that the impact of how important it is to create that community and, and to make sure that you are providing that sense of purpose. And we talk about it all the time. You know, you know when you take off that uniform, just like you did in 2015, you didn't lose that desire to serve. It, it just changed and it manifested into something different. You wake up every day and you're serving. You're, you continue to serve the same population you served for 35 years in the military. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. And again, why we are so grateful for our partnership with you. Um, I'm going to close with asking you the same question we ask every, uh, every guest on the show. Uh, so if you've listened to the show, you probably know what I'm coming at you at, but, um, you know, this is called the resilient life. Um, you, you know, I kind of 
breezed over, you know, you, you, you're a retired general in the military, you're leading a, a national, the largest national VSO in the country. But as everyone does, your life has had challenges, you've had adversity, you've, you've certainly had to overcome, you know, different things that, that, that have faced you. Um, what does living a resilient life, because in order to continue to be, uh, you know, move forward, you have to be resilient. So what does living a resilient life look like for you? For me, living a resilient life is living a life of purpose and meaning. And it's living a life that you know that no matter how challenged you'll be, and everybody's challenged in some regard, I think especially the last two years, Ryan, as you know, it's been a challenging time for our country, um, especially with the COVID the COVID illness, the loss of family members, the illness, the social unrest, the, the you know, economic challenges our country faces. But if you, if you focus your efforts on service, if you focus your efforts on service, um, you'll be living, you'll find that the rewards of living a life of service and purpose will continue to build in you a sense of resilience that allows you to overcome any obstacle. And I will tell you of all the honors I have as being the CEO of Wounded Warrior Project, the greatest honor I have is seeing the resilience of the wounded service members we serve and their families and their caregivers that support them, the, the way that they continue to overcome insurmountable obstacles because they have a positive outlook on life they have a positive perspective and they're focused not on themselves, but on giving back. You know, we're very proud of this logo as you're very proud of that logo, right? This logo is one warrior carrying another. And we aspire to uh, the notion that at any point in a person's life, they need assistance, they need, they need help. Certainly for many of our wounded warriors that have been wounded in action, they've been carried off the battlefield. But our goal is that after you recover, you then give back and you're carrying somebody else in their recovery and you're helping them through their tough times. And that's that to me is the essence of resilience. And that's really what your organization focuses on. First and foremost is those opportunities to give back, make a difference and live a resilient, uh, a resilient life. I love that. Um, Thank General you. Lennington, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a, an honor and a pleasure. I always enjoy talking to you. And thank you to everyone for listening to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. General Lennington, thank you. Thank you, Ryan. God bless.